Chapter twenty nine of Carpenter's World Travels Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland by Frank Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter twenty nine Fur Seals and Fox Farms. As I write, the steamship Victoria is carrying me across Bering Sea. We have just left the Pribilof Islands, where there are now more than half a million fur seals. Of this number, over 150,000 are breeding females, each of which can be relied upon to yield one baby a year. Of the babies, one half will be males, whose skins will sometime be sold in the fur markets of the world, adding to the enormous profits we have already cleared from the islands. But what are the Pribilofs, and just where do they lie on the map of the world? They are really rocky, volcanic peaks in the midst of Bering Sea, so small that they would not make a fly speck on a chart of the Pacific Ocean the size of a billiard table. They have an area, all told, of less than 60 square miles, and are about the most forbidding-looking places on Earth. The islands are composed of alternate stretches of sand and broken rock, in some cases backed by cliffs rising 400 feet high. They are in one of the gloomiest parts of the ocean. In the winter, they are surrounded by ice floes and icebergs, while in summer they are wrapped in fog. The sun seldom shines upon them, and it is only by means of the compass and chart that ships are able to make their way there. The nearest land is the Aleutian chain over 200 miles to the south. From time immemorial, the Pribilofs have been one of the chief breeding places of the fur seal, and since their discovery, they have supplied most of the seal skins of the world. There are today only three seal rookeries, or breeding places, of any importance. One of these belongs to Uruguay, one to the Russians, and one to the United States. The first is the Lobos Islands, off the mouth of the Rio de la Plata. The Russian rookery is in the western part of Bering Sea. The United States rookery on the Pribilofs is the largest and most profitable of all. From it, more than two million skins were taken during the latter part of the last century, and even now, under the strict government regulation of seal killing, it sends to the great fur sales at St. Louis some 15,000 skins every year. The Pribilof Islands were named for the Russian sea captain who discovered them just 10 years after our Declaration of Independence was signed. The Russians had heard from the Aleutian Islanders a tradition that the fur seals came from the north and they scouted about over Bering Sea for 18 years before they found just where the breeding place was. Pribilov spent three years searching for them, and he cruised for weeks near the islands without being able to find them. One story relates how he heard the seals barking and then ran into the island of St. George, which was covered with the animals. A few weeks later, he discovered St. Paul, and a half million skins were taken that year. The chief market for the furs was China, and the Russians grew rich from their sales. At one time, they took so many skins that the killing was stopped for some years, the females being spared. This was the case at the time we bought Alaska, when the herd contained, it is estimated, from two to five million animals. After the United States took possession, the islands were leased by the government to the Alaska Commercial Company, which paid a rental of $55,000 per annum and a royalty of $2.62 on each skin taken. That company killed almost two million seals during the 20 years it held the Pribilofs. 
After that, they were leased to the Northern Commercial Company at $60,000 a year and a tax of about $10 a skin. The latter company took several hundred thousand skins. At the expiration of its lease in 1910, the government took over the islands. The sealing industry is now managed by the Bureau of Fisheries under the Department of Commerce. The fur seal comes to the islands only during the summer. For the rest of the year, his life is spent in the sea. He arrives at the Pribilofs in the late spring, and as winter comes on, makes his way southward through the Aleutians and down as far as California. Some of the large males winter in the Gulf of Alaska, while the younger ones will go as far south as the latitude of San Francisco. The females go very far south. In coming back, the adult males get to the breeding grounds about the 1st of May. The females and the older bachelors stay away until June. The two-year-olds come along in July and the yearlings in the latter part of August and in early September. A full-grown bull often measures six or seven feet in length and six feet between the tips of his outstretched fore flippers. He weighs from 100 to 500 pounds. The cow seals are between four and five feet long and often weigh up to 100 pounds. The pups, when first born, are about a foot long and weigh only three or four pounds. They are born on the land and the mothers have to teach them to swim. They begin to learn at two months of age and soon become so skillful that at the end of the season, they go away with their mothers and remain for six months in the ocean without landing at all. The fur seal industry is just a stock raising business and the animals can be controlled in the breeding season even more easily than horses or cows. The males do not begin to breed until they are five years old when they develop a wig or mane which distinguishes them from the younger animals. The cows begin to bear at three years and continue for a decade or more. The males under five years old and those unable to secure and control harems are called bachelors. The superfluous males are the ones killed for furs. The seals are polygamous and each bull of full size claims the right to as many cows as he can appropriate. In some cases, the fiercest of the bulls have had as many as 75 cows, but experts have found that each harem bull should have only about 35 cows to keep a herd at its best. In their summer migration to the Pribilofs, each of the old bulls picks out a spot on the rocks near the water, about 50 feet in circumference, which he intends to use as a home for himself and his harem. About a month later, the cows begin to come, and he sees that he gets his share, fighting any other bull who attempts to come into his territory. A short time after the cows arrive, each gives birth to a pup, and from that time on, she goes out to sea now and then to get food. She often swims as far as 300 miles away to find good feeding grounds. The bulls, which are fat upon their arrival, eat nothing for several months or until near the end of the breeding season. After that, they occasionally go out for a meal, but come back to the islands. There is very little seafood about the Pribilofs, and at present the nearest feeding grounds are about 100 miles away. The best are on the submerged plateaus or banks situated a little north of the Aleutian Islands. The seals eat chiefly squid, but are fond also of herring, smelts, salmon, and other kinds of fish, upon which they gorge themselves whenever they can. They can sleep in the water, resting on their backs with their hind flippers held aloft and their noses just above the surface. 
while on the land they sleep the greater part of the time and one can frequently see the master of the harem and his cows and even the pups all fast asleep during the summer the pups suckle their mothers living upon milk until the approach of cold weather when they have learned to swim and can catch their own fish and squid as winter comes on the cows and pups start away first and the bulls and bachelors follow some time later i am told that the best furs are those taken from the animals of three and four years and the government aims to kill only the surplus bachelors of those ages the cows are all kept for breeding the killing which is done after a regular system begins about the last of june and ends before the first of september each seal selected to be killed is stunned by a blow on the head with a heavy club and while he is still unconscious he is stabbed to the heart and bled the dead seals are laid out in rows to be skinned by the natives they leave on the skin a layer of fat from a fourth to a half inch thick and work so skillfully that the skin comes off as a sort of bag with two round holes at the front where the four flippers went through the most expert can skin a seal in two minutes the next process is salting and curing the skins which are then packed up in pairs and shipped to the markets formerly all of them were sent to london the world's market for raw furs there they were graded according to size and quality and sold at auction in lots of one hundred in nineteen ten the average price obtained by the government for about thirteen thousand skins taken on these islands was thirty three dollars since the world war the government's fur auctions have been held at st louis in a recent year fourteen thousand eight hundred and fifty two seal skins were sold at an average of one hundred and fifteen dollars a skin by the treaties made in nineteen eleven the killing of the animals at sea has been largely stopped we have our revenue cutters on guard about the islands and we watch for japanese english or american sealing pirates in the past a fleet of such boats watched for the seals as they swam to and from their feeding grounds and as they made their way northward and southward during the year the pirates killed the cows as well as the bulls to such an extent that they took about nine hundred thousand skins in the thirty years prior to nineteen eleven they destroyed more skins than they secured the estimates being that for every skin taken four or five seals were killed and lost moreover many of the females so destroyed were with pup or had pups on land which were left to starve if the mother seal dies there is no hope for her young for the seal will not suckle any but her own offspring the total losses from pelagic sealing ran high into the millions besides the seal fisheries on the pribilofs the herds of blue foxes maintained there by the bureau of fisheries are sources of considerable revenue to the united states nearly a thousand skins have been sold in a year bringing in eighty thousand dollars in the pribilofs the fox herds are allowed to run at large but in the aleutians and the islands of southeastern alaska where many foxes are raised they are usually kept in pens on regular fox farms fox farming appears to be one of the big coming industries of southern and southeastern alaska mainly on the coast or islands climatic conditions seem to favor especially the blue foxes which are decidedly more prolific than the black or the silver foxes though the skins of the latter bring the best prices i have visited some of alaska's fox farms at a distance such a farm looks like a great chicken yard with walls of woven wire and little coops inside the wire is much like chicken wire but is made of tough steel 
and reaches as high as that about a tennis court. At the bottom, it is sunk about four feet and is then bent over so that it runs under the ground for two feet to prevent the foxes from burrowing out from under it. At the top, the wire has an overhang of two feet. This is to keep the foxes from climbing out of the pen. Each fox pen has its own kennel made of boards. It is entered by a board chute up which the fox runs when it goes in, but sometimes a wooden pipe a foot square serves as an entrance. The foxes run in and out of these pipes and usually carry their food inside to eat it. Usually, but one pair of foxes is kept in a single pen. The animals are so timid that they have to be handled carefully, especially in the mating season, when they are sensitive to strange sights, noises, and smells. Most of the fox farmers will not permit visitors to enter their property for fear they will frighten the foxes. When excited, the animals grow crazy and sometimes eat their young. On the other hand, they get acquainted with their keepers and some become so tame that strangers can handle them. During my visit to a fox farm on the Tanana River, my daughter, who was with me, picked up two little silver gray fellows the size of kittens and hugged them to her while I made a snapshot. Those foxes are worth a thousand dollars apiece. The baby foxes, often kept in nursery pens to themselves, have long bushy tails, little sharp noses, and eyes sparkling like jet. In the same pens are sometimes baby martins with heads not bigger than a baby's fist and eyes the size of a black-headed pin. The martin has a gorgeous yellow throat. The rest of its fur is a rich brown. It is really a sable and is sometimes known as the Alaska sable, the best of which are equal to the sables of Russia. On this same farm, I saw one litter of foxes being mothered by a cat. She had three baby foxes, which when grown will be worth from $500 to $1,000 apiece and possibly more. The mother of these foxes was a very nervous animal and the farmer feared she might kill her young. So they were taken away and given to the cat in place of her kittens, which seemed to be a satisfactory arrangement for both cat and baby foxes. It seems that it is necessary to have cats around a fox farm for such complications. There is a story that one man in eastern Canada lost a litter of silver foxes because he would not pay a high price for a cat. The mother of the foxes had died, and in looking around to find a cat in the proper condition, the farmer discovered but one. The owner of the cat, appreciating his need, said he would not sell his cat for less than $500. The fox farmer indignantly refused. The result was that he lost five little foxes that might have been worth $2,500, and all for a $500 cat. One fox raised by a cat at Fairbanks had a pelt valued at $800. There is a great demand among the fox farmers for wild foxes for breeding. One is paid as high as $1,000 apiece for black foxes and $100 and upward for red ones. There is a closed season for killing foxes, but some of the farmers have been paying the Indians for the live young they catch and shipping them to the east as ranch bread. Not long ago, the government fur warden found 42 live young in the hands of Indians and turned them all loose. This number included 16 blacks worth at least $1,000 apiece. When they let the foxes go, from $16,000 to $20,000 fled off into the woods. The Indians could not help themselves for fear of the law. When an Indian finds a fox nest, he watches it 
until the close season is over and then tries to catch the foxes with traps so protected by wrappings that they will hold the animals without injuring them. End of chapter 29